Unit and the Doctor are providing security cover at an experimental drilling project that soon goes wrong and where the Doctor is accidentally transported into a parallel universe where the drilling project is in a more advanced stage, he has to work against the Brigadier and Liz's evil alter egos and try to save both universes from destruction. This is Inferno. Welcome to Regenerated. introduce Mr. Sutton. Hello, Doc. Welcome to the Inferno, Mr. Sutton. And what do you uh, think of this project, Doc? Well, I think that certain people ought to pay a lot more attention to the warnings of this computer. Like him, you mean? Yes. Mind you, I'm not wild about computers myself, but they are a tool. And if you have a tool, it's stupid not to use it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Regenerated. I am Matt, and I'm joined by my beautifully fantastic wife, Becky. You're still sucking up. Well, you keep wanting me to do a uh, big entrance for you, so I continue to do it. No fanfare? Well, no, I can't really pipe in a fanfare. Maybe I'll get some party poppers. I don't like party poppers. They scare me. Well, okay. And this week so we have... So cannons, so don't get any ideas, and so do their horns. I don't like loud noises. Well, we'll have to see what we can do then, Becky. So this week we have... in. Inferno. So, Inferno, Becky, what's your initial reactions to Inferno? No. Well, that's was... a promising start from Becky, <laughs> as always, folks. As I don't know, what springs to mind is boring, but um, I wouldn't say it that harshly. <laughs> This is where we're going to disagree, and I think a lot of the fans are going to disagree with you once again, Becky. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Very hard to please is my wife, Becky. Oh, you've managed it for 12 years, so somehow you're doing something right. Mm. Seven episodes, 9th e- of May. E- either that or I just stuffed the pub with you, one mm, of the yes. two. 9th of May to the 20th of June, 1970. Written by Don Halton, and this is his first story, one of two uh, stories he done for Doctor Who, and directed by the... I don't know what to call him now. He's sort of Mr. Doctor Who, Douglas Camfield, who done The Crusade, The Chase, The Time Meddler, The Daleks Master Plan, The Web of Fear, Invasion, and now Inferno. So that sounds about right. He's another director who's now done... Don't really like The Chase. He's now done um, a story for every Doctor now as well uh, throughout the, the three tenures of the Doctors. Um, yeah. You, but, you know... So before we really get into it, what actually is Inferno then, Becky? Because they actually do mention what the actual title means in the episode. What's that? It's a nuclear drilling project. Well, yes. Well, it's more... um, So, shock horror, we're back on a base again. 
this is what we were saying like um on the last episode about they're quite restricted in a way exiling the doctor yeah they're restricted a little bit with the doctor sticking them on earth because they need to like get him into a situation it's like say every single serial we've seen near enough it's a base um except for the first one which was kind of more of a factory uh but subsequently um, Factory. the Silurians and yeah, last week's it's ambassadors always the same death. thing. It's always the same thing. If it's on Earth, it's a factory or a base or an empty warehouse. It's pretty much, you know, yeah, or so a spooky house. This week, it's actually on a like a, a drilling... Like I said, uh, Scooby-Doo reruns. Yeah, it's like a drilling base type thing. <laughs> it's a bit hard because they never really say what it is, like a drilling station. Yeah. Is that a way of saying it? Probably. So before we get into some of the uh, finer points of I Inferno, I was hoping to see a bit more magma, but you know, well, budget isn't um, the only sort of magma you get to see is sort of through sort of green screen um, towards the end. To be fair, isn't it? Yeah, I uh, know, but I thought at least a volcanic eruption or summit. Well, yeah, Inferno kind of screams fire and flames, you know. So if we go through quickly, a little bit of, or a maybe I've just think of too much about Dante's Inferno, I mm. don't know. Yeah, so if we go for a quick uh, sort of story outline, uh, it's, it is a bit complicated and it isn't really. There, well, there are bits what, of well, it that were complicated. Books about, anyway. mm. So basically there is this uh, drilling operation happening at the station where it, I think they're drilling to penetrate the Earth's crust. I think to is it mm. for a power thing? I don't really know. Yeah, for atomic energy. Yeah, and it is um it's really this is where it's difficult because it's um the doctor and unit sort of get called in because Yeah, but the doctor's already helping. Because well, he's an advisor. Well he's on an the advisor project. to unit, yes. And he's an advisor on the project. Well, isn't it the the, the premise of the story is that he one was of their anyway. is it one of their he's like a te- he's like an engineer, isn't he? Is it Slocum, they call him, isn't it? He, Starman. I thought it was Slo- Slocum is the first guy. The professor? No, not the professor, the technician. Oh. At the very beginning, they they have yeah. a problem with Drill Rig 2. They bring in a technician no, called Slocum. Outpipe 2. Outpipe 2, whatever. Um, called Slocum. He is basically working away on it. He sees this like green goo, which they never really you explain. You never touch the green goo, and they never explain what it is and what. Well, all why I it's all there. I basically was thinking the whole time is one, don't touch the green goo. Two, don't touch the green goo. Three, don't touch the green goo. Are you a moron? Have you ever seen a comic book? Don't touch the green goo. Well, he does, and it sort of changes him. <sighs> Uh, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the whole Gamma Ray and Incredible Hulk thing all over again. Well, is this kind of like last week's... But more fairy. Kind of like last week's Ambassadors of Death, where it sort of reverts them back. Although, my question is, right, the Hulk goes green after green Gamma Rays, right? That's green goo. So why'd they go blue? Well, I don't know. You have a, a weird obsession with the Hulk. You mentioned the Hulk in every single episode of Regenerated, nearly, Becky. Nah, yeah, but the Hulk films are still crap. So is this, <laughs> is this the same sort of plot point as Ambassadors of Death, where it reverts them back to a prehistoric age? Um, it's really strange. I don't know, because they look like a cross between sort of like, you know, pre-homo well, pre <laughs> sapiens, plus, you know... 
a cross between a, a werewolf. They never really say what this green goo is or where it really comes from. It just sort of mutates and transforms people. And the only way they can survive is in extreme heat. I'm well, guessing yeah, from because, the lava because it yeah, uh, because emanates from the lava. Is that, you know, drawn into the Earth's crust, you're pretty much disturbing stuff that live there. Like, it's pretty much just like a version to journey to the centre of the Earth, really. Yeah. And, you know, you're coming up with all these things that apparently lived in Krakatoa and things like that. But, so, you know, we all know what happened with Krakatoa. Yeah, it exploded, you know. Becky. <gasps> no, shit, Sherlock. So, um, Slocum, he goes, uh, he sort of transforms a little bit. He then goes running amok. He attacks somebody and disappears. And this is why Unit gets brought in with the Doctor because this person Maybe disappeared. Maybe I'm going to nickname you that now, Krakatoa. Because every time you're around, all I keep seeing is your bum crack. Right, okay. So that's your new nickname, Krakatoa. Thanks for that, Becky. We'll move on, I think, quickly. (laughs) So, yep, Dr. Briggs brought in. and You always have a builder's butt. The subplot is that the Doctor has removed his console from the TARDIS. This this is a bit of a really weird plot point, I think. It's just for the plot. Because it's like, well... It makes no sense. This bit is a bit strange. Because I it's like, all right, I get why he kind of disappears being with the console, but why does the car disappear? I don't know. Because then, but then if there's people in the room, mm. they don't disappear as well as him in the car. Who knows? Maybe it's TARDIS technology in the car. I Possibly, don't know. but that just doesn't make sense because surely, you know, other people in the room would disappear too. So the doctor's. Um, he's conducting experiments. He's using nuclear power with the console. He's trying nuclear. to basically get off the planet, isn't he? He, you know, he's exi- exiled. He doesn't know what except that. So he's trying to sort of go off on his journeys. He's then doing well, what they call. He's trying to fi- figure out a loophole. Yeah, he's trying to do in what they call it. a trial run. And there's also like a moment where he's in Bessie. He drives to what they call the hut where this console is. And he has this thing which he gets out of his pocket, which to me looks like a sonic screwdriver, but he calls it a door handle. I think that's basically... Is it a sonic screwdriver well, or not? I don't know, that's... because it makes the noise of a sonic screwdriver. But then it's more of the fact of, you know, it kind of makes that noise. But then, you know, it's kind of odd how it just opens the doors and, you know closes them but not you know at the end of the day i just seen something that the doctor would do so you'd have to get out of the car and unlock it you yeah know? so he basically presses a button the doors open so it's the sort of same premise of uh automatic garage doors basically yeah and i much. thought the doors to the hut look very much like the tardis so i thought that I this know! maybe was like the tardis has been like the chameleon circuit is working again and that the TARDIS has now basically changed to this hut. I don't know. That would make more of yeah, sense, wouldn't come it? come off it. If it basically... It'd make more yeah, sense. Yeah, it would have. But if the TARDIS being the size that it is, to be compacted down to something as small as the police box, and even in the time meddler when it was like that thing, you wouldn't have got a car in it. Well, no, that's why I would say that he changed it to look like a hut and the doors open and he can drive in. But that's not what it is. It's basically he's no. taken the console out of the TARDIS. Would you never, yeah, but then saying so then work that, on it. But then saying that, you never actually see the outside of the TARDIS in the serial at all. We don't see the TARDIS at all, no. It, I said the outside, the console is part of the TARDIS. So at the end of the day, 
you technically see, you say you don't see the TARDIS, but you do because you see the console. So mm-hmm. that's why I said the outside of the yeah. TARDIS. Well, he's using nuclear <laughs> power from the drilling. Uh, from the drill, they've been there three weeks, haven't they? That's what they said at the beginnings. But so he's been conducting experiments was, for three if it weeks. If the TARDIS, then surely the whole thing would have gone, mm. not the console. Yeah, exactly. So they're conducting what they call a trial run. Subsequently, through this, the Doctor gets thrown into a parallel universe where they're doing the same sort of thing. Yeah, he and what encounters is with the Brigadier and the Eye Patch. Well, that's it. He encounters an evil Liz, an evil Brigadier, which they call the Brigade. What's it called? The Brigade, the Brigade Leader. Brigade Leader. Yeah. He's got an eye patch, no moustache, and he's got a big scar, scar down his face. Yeah. It's like Blofeld all over again. So everyone's sort of representative, but, but they're kind of different, aren't well, they? Well, it's like Blofeld with hair. But I thought Liz's wig or hair out, looks really I good. Out, um, it's cross between Blofeld, all right, and number two from Doctor Evil. A little bit, yeah. You can see <laughs> that maybe this has been satired or satired is the word. I think yeah. in maybe Austin Powers a little bit. Well, yeah, since Austin Powers was way, maybe or maybe way ahead. maybe because I should think this is a slightly after uh, 1970. I would think that um, James Bond was after that. James, surely. Bo- well, I don't know. It depends because when the books were were the books written before Doctor Who? Well, I don't. I should think they were. I think they were. But so maybe Doctor Who t- took after. Yeah, but James Bond was then. Blofeld written about, or was that artistic license? Mm. I that's thought the the, that's the, question. the outfits of unit are a little bit near the mark as well to sort of World War Two Nazi uniforms. I think it's a little yeah, bit near the, the SS, mark there. Yeah. So, uh, well, not quite as dark as the SS uniform, but you can see what they're trying to do here. They're trying to say that it's an alternate reality and that they're a little bit more evil than the real Brigadier and Liz. And Liz actually looks quite she looks different because she's got a shorter bobbed hair, and actually, it works better. I think it looks better to be honest than her actual look. Um, and actually, she gives a better performance. Seventies well. haircuts are just bad in all regards, really. Well, she was unless able... unless you're looking at like Mila Kunis from that seventies show, then that's a good seventies hairstyle. I think that Liz sort of she actually gets to sort of act a little bit more here, so she's a little bit better yeah. in the role here. Um, so what's happening in the alternative reality is that they're doing the same thing, trying yeah, to drill best down. Yeah, coming out of the 60s as well. she got, like, big hair. Mm. So Bob isn't just a simple Bob. It's, like, puffed out and mm. blow-dried and, yeah. you know, volume yeah. the crap yeah. out of. Yeah. Um, so they're drilling, trying to obviously drill down to the last crust. It goes wrong. There is basically, the Doctor sort of explains it, like Betty said earlier, Krakatoa, so it's going to erupt. And in the end, <laughs> he just gets back. Sorry, I just, I just had a really random thought. Because when I said about Krakatoa and about, you know, you being your new nickname, and then you said erupt, and I'm just sitting there thinking, yeah, you spend enough time on the toilet. Well, so- I say small things, please, <laughs> simple minds. Funny. Simple things, isn't yeah, it? Please, so- simple minds. Everybody <laughs> out there will understand what we're talking about uh, there. Well, no, it gives me a new one rather than singing Ring of Fire at you when I come so, upstairs. So, basically, the Doctor ends up, you know, as attention and the pressure builds, he gets back to normal reality and he's able to stop them from drig- drilling into the Earth's crust. Yeah, exactly. Um, and drilling, drilling into the Earth's crust and saving everyone and saving the day. And that's kind of it. But Although, I don't think he looks good in a radiation suit. 
no, that's quite funny as well. Like, I was going to say in that episode, which one was the doctor? Because <laughs> you can't really tell. We there could. is there's there's a scene, isn't there, where they're in the parallel universe where is it um, Stallman who is kind of he's the runner, isn't he, of the drilling rig? He's kind of the what's it called, like he's the director. Well, he's a professor. Well, I thought that was uh, Professor. What's his name? Is it uh, Sir Keith? No, Sir Keith, Sir Keith is the one who's fronting the money. Right, yes. And the Professor Starman. Professor Starman, who's the director of the project. the project. But he's kind of the one who's hell-bent on going ahead with the drilling project, even though everyone's telling him not to yeah. and trying to warn him. And there's a point where he actually does touch the green goo, so he's then changing as and well. And I just had this thing of... Um, when and he's, he's trying to hide drill it. into the core and things like that. And and then you got um Doctor Evil just mm. comes into my head going so liquid heart. When magma. they touch when they touch the green goo, it basically you can see they've got like it's ink basically on their hands. But it's obviously supposed to be like it's changing that's the colour like of their skin. Doctor Evil's volcano lair and with the liquid heart magma. And Stol <laughs> and Stolman, he wears the most obvious thing to try and hide his green hand. White, White gloves. gloves. <laughs> it's the most obvious thing. Like the first thing you'd be oh, like, "Oh, that's all right." You, you just basically. That's like if you get like a really big red cut that's bleeding. First thing you do is go and put a white bandage on it. You know, it's just like, well, come off it. You know, you wouldn't, would you? You know, it's just it's stupid. It's like, why would you put white gloves on? I know, and it's the most obvious thing in the world. It's like you can see through it. If you're going to hide stuff and put black gloves on. We also got the first, uh, the first moves, shall we say, of the Doctor's Venetian karate as well. This is something that uh, John Pertwee's Doctor is kind of famous for. Yeah, basically, it's their version of that, where he can basically touch somebody and paralyze them. And... You know, he, this is what I'm saying about a couple mm-hmm. of episodes ago about John Pertwee being the man of uh, the doctor of action. He, you know, he, he brings in this sort of karate and there is a bit, I think there is a bit of it, isn't there, where they go into the drilling rear, uh, what is it, what did you say, out, uh, Outpipe 2, is it? Yeah. Outpipe 2, they go into there, I think it's in the parallel universe, the with Stallman's in a... Um, He's in a radiation suit. So's the doctor, and also the the guy they get in to sort of help them as well, Sutton, because he's kind of a guy Sutton. who's got a lot of information and expertise I knew with Sutton drilling. Once. He goes in there to sort of turn on the coolant, isn't it, or turn it off or something? It's to, yeah. To turn the cooling on. Stallman comes in with a pipe, bangs him over the head, and then you get the doctor and Stallman fighting. <laughs> and this is where I'm like, which one's which? Yeah, because you can't really tell, yeah. you know. At least if you're going to have well, a, apart from the fact that Stallman's actually has his name on it. Yeah, but you're not really looking at that, are you? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, might. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it's just to me, it was just complex, and you couldn't really tell which one uh, was fighting which. Complex in English that makes you you have to think, and you don't want to give yourself a headache. Well, yeah. <laughs> we also got, uh, like I was saying as well, uh, on previous episodes about. John Pertwee's a rubber face as he pulls expressions and that. We actually got some more as well when he's crossing the dimensions or when oh he's... Oh, God, you wouldn't want to watch that if he was stoned. When Christ. he's, like, trial running the first time and he disappears and then he Just actually reappears. Just any advice, don't watch it if you're stoned because 
that seriously gave me a headache watching it. Not in general. Yep. Yeah. Also, we got. Don't mess with your head. We also got the jo- Doctor John Smith returns uh, as the brigade, uh, the brigade leader. It's going to be very difficult to say brigade leader and not brigadier. Um, yeah, but then the questions does, him of the his name. Does it later on? Anyway. Yeah, he does. And I wondered if that was a mistake or that was actually like. Was it, it a was mistake from John Pertwee, or was it just him? You know, has the character slipping? Because I don't know. It's one of them difficult things. Yeah. Did he make a mistake there, or was he actually just I don't doing know, it? Because surely they would have edited it if it was did. Well, maybe, but when tape is so expensive that they have to go and wipe loads of Doctor Who episodes, they probably couldn't retake it, and they probably just thought we'll just continue it. Yeah, maybe. Mm. So, uh, Liz, I think again, you know, I keep saying poor old Liz. This time as well, again, the Doctor goes off on his own. I just don't think they really know how to write her. Like, when they go to Parallel Universe, she's actually really good. Liz is actually a good character Mm. in that because she's got a bit of an edge to her. You know, she's not so, you know, dull and she's not just a normal, you know, one of them companions you just can't really get behind. She's actually, like you say, got a bit of edge. So she's actually all right. You know, she's got a different look. She's a bit, like, say, evil, you know. And in the end, she ends up siding with the doctor a little bit more as well towards the end when she realizes that you know the the shit's hit the fan and that the lava's coming out and basically everything's getting destroyed she's more on board with him to try and help him get back to his universe to stop stop this from happening then so she's all right there but normal is it's just again she's just boring and the trouble is as well they have uh petra who's one of the ladies who works in the drilling rig and she's more of a, a better character than what Liz is and she's doing more to help the effort. Yeah. And she's doing more to sort of save them than what Liz is. So again, it's just, you know, this is the last serial that Liz is in. And again, she does not get a, far as far as I know, she does not get a farewell scene. It's kind of next episode. It's Liz won't be returning. She's gone off to do X, Y, and Z. Here's your new companion. So she doesn't get a, a goodbye or anything. Yeah, pretty much. And that's kind of, that sums it up really for Liz. You know, no goodbyes. They just sort of got rid of her. Yeah, which is quite odd. It is a bit odd. It's, it reminds me of, skipping ahead a little bit, you never really see Ace's departure. And you never really see Mel's beginning, you know, and this is this just reminds me of that a little bit, that you never really get to see Liz's goodbye. Mm. So she's kind of an afterthought. And like I say, the writing's just not there with her. You know, we had this discussion last week. Is she really a companion? Because the Doctor, yeah. the doctor is very much on his own in this one. Yeah, I know what you mean. But then we had that discussion last week. Yep. Uh... Overall, I think Inferno is a quite. I think it's a very good serial. It is definitely it's definitely one of the fans' most popular serial because I think it's the complexity and the the pressure. Like I put in, I found it too predictable. Well, yes, but all Doctor Who's predictable. No, ain't. Well, I think it can be. No. Well, when was the last time in in the run up till now? How how has it been predictable? When I've not known what the um thingies are. What? The what? The monster of the week. Yeah, but when you've got like, you know, the evil of the Daleks, it's a bit obvious. 
alright. Well, Daleks want to exterminate, but I actually like Daleks. Well, I think they didn't really tell you anything about these creatures. They didn't really say anything. Yeah, the, the enemy was basically just a, a random person, you know, and then they ended up in a um a parallel universe, which is completely bogus. And so, but to be honest, I found it a little bit boring. I can see what they're trying to do. They're I trying to. I found it very a bit boring, very predictable, and it was just like a bit meh. I can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to think outside the box here. By going to a parallel universe, I think this is the first time Doctor Who's ever done this. So mm. this is the first time he's kind of moved through space. Uh, yeah, yeah, space come instead off of it. time. David Tennant done one where he went to parallel universe, but was it boring? No. Well, I, you because know, it had Cybermen in it. There's going to be a and lot of people disagreeing with you. But two, you know, it had David Tennant in it. At the end of the day, I just found this a bit meh. Well, it's a multi—it's a multi-layered story where the pressure and tension builds. I think this is what people really like about it: is that the, the pressure builds, the tension builds. There's also, I've got to say, one of the best things I really liked about it was background ambient noise is really good in this one. There's some really like nice, like rumbling effects in the background as There's they're rumbling drilling effects and it's going on up. right now. It's called my stomach. Well, I don't think the people listening want to know. Oh stomach. no! It's, it's basically after being unwell all week, it's now basically starting to feel like I could eat a horse again. Well, I'm sure that our listeners will sell, send you well wishes. Yeah, well, well wishes ain't good enough and, unless they come with chocolate. And applaud your efforts to soldier on through the podcast. Yeah, as usual. Yes, as usual. Still think it was a touch of food poisoning mm. though. But yeah, it is a bit predictable. You know, he goes to Parallel Universe. You know he's going to get back. You know he's going to stop the drilling and save the day. It's just that's that to me is typical Doctor Who. You know the Doctor's always going to kind of win in the end and that's what happens. So Inferno to me, I actually quite like it. Um, it is a multi-layered story for me. It's very complex and I can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to think outside the box. They know the Doctor's exiled on Earth. They know they've got really no sort of choice in the matter what can they do mm. and they've thought uh, it's quite clever what they've done with the parallel universe yeah you know and they've give the the actors like the um the regular actors like the brigadier I think these and Liz. days though we are kind of so spoiled with storylines that you know you don't think of what storylines were like back then having to come up with them on the spot you know from nowhere and you know, because a lot of writers these days are over copy previous storylines or they make like a similar storyline, but they put a twist on it. And, you know, it's, you know, like pretty much doing a live action version of The Lion King. Mm. You know, it's, you know, so I think, yeah, we are a bit spoiled when it comes to storylines these days because, like, obviously the 80s, 90s, and things like that, so much was sort of, you know, becoming improved. There was so much more special effects, there was more you could do. Whereas the 70s, you know, it's just sort of mm. not really but, much there at the moment yet. But from my my point of view, we have never seen a story like this in Doctor Who so far. I don't think we have. I think it's a, a unique, a uniquely Still different story. Yeah, well, at the minute, you know, we're not thinking about, you know, so several Doctors in the future. We're now thinking about the three that we have had. Well, what do you mean several? Several's like three or four, you know. It's like... About number ten. Well, that's it. Several to me is seven, so it would be right ten. Although um, they do do a parallel universe one as well, 
with I'm not sure if it's parallel universe or not, but they do that whole like game show thing where Anne oh, Robinson's yes. a robot. Yes, yes, in New Who, yes. Um Is that Christopher Eccleston? I can't remember. I think so, yes. It might be. But yeah, yeah I I just think this is don't they this put him in a big brother house? Yeah, is this yeah. is a unique story that I don't think we've seen in Doctor Who as yet. Really lends itself to the colour era, I think, as well. And I just there, really that like robot the story. definitely looks like Anne Robinson now. Mm. I really like the story of this one. She's so, a bit robotic and all. So, you know, it, it's a highly regarded story by the fans. As the uh, Doctor Who poll will tell us, out of 241, it came in at number 18. No, it came in at number 18. Mm. It's in the top 20. And it, I think you'll find yeah. this is the highest rated John Pertwee story from the fans as well. Crap. So, you know, it's like Marmite, Becky. You either love it or you hate it. And I've got to say, I really like Inferno. I really look forward to getting to this one. Eh. See, and the trouble is, Becky's just so hard to please. Well, like I said, in 12 years, either one, you've either got used to trying to please me by now, or two, I'm glutton for punishment. So, either way. Mm. Well, so. More like the second. That's just uh, sort of our thoughts and a quick few pointers about inferno if we go to mark campbell's verdict the most intense doctor who story ever the gradual build-up of intense oh yes no i ain't well let me continue the gradual build-up of tension is a magnificently orchestrated no and the ever-present noise of the drill means everyone has to shout to be heard. The cliffhanger to episode 6 is arguably the finest in the show's history. That's a 10 out of 10. No. Well, I did mention, and I actually I didn't read that bit about the uh, drilling noise, but I, I do agree with him there. That drilling noise in the background is really, really superb. And the fact that there is tension, I do believe that there's tension in that story. Is it the finest story? Arguably, no. that one's arguably that point. You could argue, you know, there are other stories coming up that are probably slightly better. You know, like you got potentially the Planet of the Spiders or Genesis no. of the Daleks, and there's a few other Tom Baker stories as well that may be, and some pa- uh, Peter Davison stories. You know, it's 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 one of them. You know them conversational arguing pieces is this the finest Doctor Who story ever probably not because I know what's coming up but it is in my point of view in my opinion a very good story and Nuh-uh. could be the best John Pertwee story we have nope so if we sort of wrap up this because uh, this is season 8 done or is it season 7 I have to just quickly check that because I do get muddled up with the numbers this one is actually season seven. Season seven. So very short season, Becky. You only got four serials. Yeah. So you had uh, the very first Spearhead from Space where the Doctor gets introduced and we get also the Autons. We got the Doctor Who and the Silurians, the Ambassadors of Death from last week and this week's the Inferno. So overall, which one did you like the best? Right. So there's Inferno, the Wrath. Uh, you had Spearhead from Space, which is the, no. the four-episode start to John Pertwee, Doctor Who and the Silurians, 
the ambassadors and death from last week and this week's inferno. I know it's a very tough decision, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> you liked Doctor Who and the Silurians the best. Admiral Akbar's. Well, I don't know. I, I'm, you know. Right. Okay. <laughs> Can I have Becky back, please? <laughs> so, Spearhead from Space is a standout one for me. <laughs> it's a very good introduction <laughs> to the Doctor. I did like last week's Ambassadors of Death. I thought it was a quite good one as well. See, I'm completely, <laughs> I'm completely disagree with you. I think that the Silurians I'm is not, the I weakest was, one. I was, I was just, I'm just, I was just waiting for the whole of the Silurian one to basically have one of them turn around and go, "It's a trap." Then you know, then it'd been fine. Mm. See, <laughs> I don't think the Silurians is the best one. I think it's the oh, weakest no, story. Oh no, I love it. That's brilliant. See, I would, if I was to put them in any order, it'd be Inferno, Spearhead from Space, Ambassador's Death, and then the Silurians at the end. No, mine goes Silurian, Spearhead from Space, then Ambassadors of Death, and then the other one. Wow. Uh, controversy as ever, Becky. I know. So people on the... Uh, well, sorry, listening... but I don't base my opinions on whether people will agree with me or whether they'll like me because of it. At the end of the day, I say it how I see it, and yes, if other and people don't like that, it, tough. That is the point. You know? That is the point of the podcast, is you've got to give your so, honest opinion. So you if know, you didn't like I, I that do. one, that's fair enough. Because there might be... Uh, yeah, but, you know, like my dad... Well my, well, my father always says, opinions are like bumholes. Everyone's got one. Hmm. Well, so, yeah, and that's it's just, you know, that is what it is. And that's why you're here, here to give your own critique. Well, like, yeah, precisely. You think, you think the Silurians and is the best the one? Comedy, I don't. And I add, think it's the worst one. So. And add the comedy along the way. Yes. Well, there's a little bit more comedy in this Inferno, I think, as well, <laughs> with the, the Brigadier and uh, the picture at the beginning of the episode one where he says, you know, which one are you? And he and says, can't you tell? And then they've all got moustaches. And funnily enough, he's the one with right the mustache. Yeah. Because then there's yeah, because there's a point at the very end where he says, "Isn't there?" You when look he better meets, with your mustache. Yeah, he yeah. says you look better with your mustache. But is that just that's in true reference to meeting the evil brigadier, though? Yeah, but that's so the thing. So is it? You is... don't really see him on the photo. They don't really point him out. He does. He says, "Yeah, that he's the fifth one from the left." Or something. yeah, but you never see the photo. You never see him. Well, we on the don't. Photo. The doctor does. Yeah. And there's a, li- there's a little bit, there's a little bit more uh, sort of, well, there is that bickering as well between the brigadier a little bit with uh, the doctor, but more of the the evil uh, brigade leader. So, um, next time we will start a new season, if Becky can tie her, uh, pull herself away from impersonating. I'll tell you, if you keep doing it, I'm just going to film it and put it on the photo. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're talking about Twitter, it, social media is in the description. Let us know what your favourite episode was in this season seven. So if we move on to season eight. And if you liked my Krakatoa and joke and at the end of the day, if Matt's nickname should be Krakatoa, you know, opinions. So season eight, first Blu-ray collection Becky will be watching. Blu-ray. And i got to admit, I haven't watched the whole thing yet. I'm so. wondering, how the hell did they actually come up with the name Blu-ray? Because it's like, well, you know, was it some dude called Ray who just happened to be a bit blue about things? That's or, a joke from Peter Kay, the comedian. Becky. Or was it? Yeah, I know, because I like Peter Kay very much. But was it, or, or was it the fact of, you know, 
someone saw a blue stingray. I don't well, know. Who knows? So season eight is again Look, one... well, DVD, right, as a digital versatile disc. DVD, mm. you know. But Blu-ray, how is it? Who knows? Who knows? The only blue thing about it is the case. If you'd like to put your, if you'd like to put Becky out of her misery about yeah, why it's please, called Blu-ray, please, please. then let us know on the social medias. Season eight is five episodes, so you get one extra this time. And if anyone wants to send me any fan mail, be you know, go for it. Mm. So I enjoy a good read. So we next week we'll have Terror of the Autons. So uh, surprise and spoiler: the Autons return. Then we have the Mind of Evil, the Claws of Axos. Axos. Colony in space and the well, and all right, finally, the claws of Axos. What are the claws referring to? Well, I don't know. You have to wait. Well, to are see are they giant crabs again? Well, I don't know. I can't remember. Or are they switched to lobsters or cuttlefish this time? Um, oh so, no, don't cuttlefish. Don't and really then have rounding claws. off the season is crayfish. However, is what I'm however you want to say it, it's either the, the demons or the demons. It's either way. Deem. Well, has it got an A in it? Yeah, it's got. It's an A, so it's D A E. Well, it's demons. So demons don't have an A in it. Well, yeah, but there's a per- pronunciation of it. It's a bit strange. That's diamonds. So season eight sees the introduction of new companion uh, Joe Grant. So Joe um, Grant. She's one. What's of... with the head, Bob? Well, who knows? Uh, so Joe Grant comes into it. One of the fan favorite companions. And don't do that. Your hair might fall off. The and top. also, when you think about. When you think about John Pertwee's run, he only has three companions. I don't know why you do three isn't a number, because the only person who can see that is me. Well, it's a bit like you and your personations. No one can see they're, that, um, but you do it. Because they're awesome, and um, you know, one of these days you're just going to laugh and you won't be able to stop. Right. So he has Liz, he has Joe Grant, and then he obviously rounds off the season with um, Sarah Jane at the very end of his run. So he only has three female companions. I thought companions. Sarah Jane came along with Tom Baker. I think she comes in at right at the end of John Pertwee. Yeah. And then she, obviously she joins Tom Baker's Doctor. But to think he only had, th- I think it was four years, I think John Pertwee did. And he only had three companions. And Joe Grant is thought of as one of, sort of, if you think of, you know, Barbara and Ian as, or Susan as William Hartnell's companion. You know, mm. Jamie is Patrick Troughton's. Joe Grant is always thought of as John Pertwee's. Sort of pretty companion. much like Sarah Jane and, you know, yeah, well, Tom Baker. Yeah, but it's just Sarah Jane and Leela are the two. The well, I, I've never Tom actually Baker. known Leela, so. So, yeah. So, next week we will have the terror of the autumn. Anyway, you love my impersonation. Mm, wow. Keep telling yourself that. Well, you must do. You want to stuck around for 12 years, otherwise. See, the thing is, I just have to tolerate them, Becky. <gasps> mean. Um, so, there's a bit of a shorter episode this week, because to be honest, you know, Inferno Matt's speaks for mean. itself, in my opinion. Inferno speaks for itself. You know, it's You're going to feel another kind of Inferno if you keep being mean. Uh, and, you know, fans know what Inferno basically means to the uh, the franchise of Doctor Who. And John Pertwee's Doctor. It kind of cemented John Pertwee, I think, as a Doctor. And it means going that Matt's going to get a butt whooping. And going forward, this is kind of him stepping into what is now, you know, his Doctor. And 
also, John Pertwee also reminds me, I thought of this as well, he sort of reminds me a little bit of Peter Cabaldi with his hair. Because John Pertwee's hair in this season is quite short, but then it sort of grows. And he lets it grow mm. out. A bit like uh, Peter Cabaldi did as well. Yeah, it's a bit odd. So, wrapping it up. Let's say yeah, because a... in English, when you basically get a doctor, they can never have a haircut. Mm. Well, that is it. How, there's no hairdressers in the TARDIS. There might be. Well, I don't know. Yeah, and on that note, I think we'll leave it there until next week's Terror of the Autons. So, I'll say goodbye. And say goodbye, Becky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 